good morning, church. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Good to see you. Some of you I didn't expect to be here, and they're here. <laughs> anyway, we're in Matthew chapter 18 this morning. Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to be looking at verses 21 through 35. Verses 21 through 35. The title of the message today is Unforgiveness, a Prison of Our Own Making. Beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the proclamation of his word. The official name for the site is the Isle of the Pelicans, but nobody knows it by that name. It's simply known as Alcatraz, one of the world's most escape-proof prisons. From 1933 to 1963, it served as a federal prison. And during that time, 26 prisoners tried to escape, but only five succeeded. Surrounded by the cold waters of San Francisco Bay, Alcatraz boats at high walls, double-locked doors, machine guns in the hands of guards, and staff that could not be bribed. Alcatraz is now a tourist attraction. But some tourists have said it's not that attractive. Warren Wiersbe, in telling us these facts about Alcatraz, reminds us it's not the world's worst prison. The world's worst prison is the one Jesus mentions in Matthew 18, in this parable that he gives us. This prison shackles the inner man, sad to say, and we put ourselves in this prison. Warren Wiersbe tells us that that prison is the prison of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. In Matthew 18, Peter had heard what Jesus had taught about searching for the little ones. 
the lost little ones. And he understood Jesus telling believers to seek all you can do to restore those who are straying. And so Peter understood that from this teaching of Jesus, that forgiveness had to be a part, a vital part, of what was going to happen among God's people. And so Peter came to Jesus and he asked him, how often should he forgive a brother who sins against him? Then Peter gave what he considered a very generous answer. Peter said, should I forgive him seven times? You see, the rabbis had limited the number of forgiveness that you, that you only had to forgive three times and then you, then you didn't have to forgive anymore. But Peter stretched it out because as he's around Jesus, he knew that Jesus was more generous than the rabbis. And so he said uh, seven times. He gave a very generous answer. But then Jesus blew Peter and the other disciples away with an answer of 77 times. Or there are some uh, texts that seem to indicate it's 70 times 7, which would be 490. I... You know, the number is not that critical. The importance is Jesus was telling his disciples that they should forgive in an unlimited way. They should not limit their forgiveness. They should forgive whenever someone sought their forgiveness. Uh, Forgiveness should always be unlimited. And then Jesus gives one of his most striking parables. He tells of a king that had decided to settle accounts with his servants. And one man owed him a debt of 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was the largest unit of currency. A talent was equivalent to 6,000 days wages. 6,000 days wages. And 10,000 is the highest number, uh, the highest single number that can be expressed in the Greek. The man had no way to pay such an enormous debt. Uh, So the king commanded the man and his uh, property, his family sold. The wife and children were considered property in those days. He said, sell him. And so this would not come close to paying the debt, but it would put a little bit in the treasury. But the man responded. How did he respond? He fell on his face, he said. He um, uh, fell on his knees. He implored him, have patience with me. I will repay. I'll repay it. Just have patience. Well, truthfully, the man could not have repaid the debt in a thousand lifetimes, truthfully. But the king, when the man asked for pity, he felt compassion. He felt that God's kind of compassion. It's the same word that we find in other places that rises from deep within. And uh, he felt that deep compassion for the slave. And he did something basically incomprehensible to the people of that time and really to us as we think about it. The king forgave the entire debt. He forgave the enormous and unpayable debt. He cleaned the slate. He took the loss himself. Well, as the slave went out from being forgiven, he happened upon the scriptures, the language may indicate he just happened to come upon someone and someone owed him a hundred denarii. Like I said, a denarii was a day's wage. So a hundred denarii would be maybe a little over three months of salary. 
the forgiven slave who had just been forgiven just happened to come upon this man who he knowed, who he knew owed him some money. I don't even know if he knew exactly how much money the man owed him, but he knew he owed him money. And so he grabbed him by the neck, and that, that was legal in those days. He choked him, and he demanded immediate payment. Well, this man, his fellow servant, uh, th- this debtor to him, used almost the same language the slave had used when standing before the king. Have mercy, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He, he, this fellow slave asked, asked the slave who had just been forgiven the enormous debt, Give me more time, I'll pay you. But the man refused and put him in prison. In those days they had debtor's prison where they would do everything they could to get you to pay. I kind of think of a loan shark sending out his goons to break people's legs. That's kind of the picture we get here. He, he would send him to this debtor prison to do everything he can so that the, the, the debt of a hundred denarii could be uh, repaid. Well, when this forgiven slave uh, did this, his fellow slaves saw what he had done, and they reported it to the king. And the king was not happy. The king came back to him and said, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Then the king, moved by righteous anger handed over the unforgiving man to the jailer. And that's a kind of a, a strange translation of this word. It actually kind of means torturers. It's not a good word. And he handed him over to the torturers until the debt was paid, which would never be possible. He could never pay this debt that he owed. Now this uh, dramatic kind of parable of Jesus... He, he was emphasizing to us the eternal importance of forgiveness of those who claim to be forgiven. God's forgiveness demands that we always forgive those who wrong us. If you truly understand God's forgiveness, you will forgive those who wrong you. If you cannot or will not forgive, then you have truly not understood and received God's forgiveness. See, this passage of Scripture teaches this timeless truth that God's children live lives of continual forgiveness because of the great forgiveness we have experienced. God's children live lives of continual forgiveness because of the great forgiveness we've experienced. Now, let's look at this parable just as some of the truths it teaches about God's forgiveness and how we should forgive. First of all, God's grace awakens us to our bankruptcy before God. God's grace awakens us to our bankruptcy before God. Now the king, who represents God in this picture, said it was time to settle accounts. Do you realize there's going to come a day where you're going to settle accounts? And you realize all of us are indebted to Almighty God because of our sin. The king decided it was time to settle accounts and called his servant in who owed him this great debt, 10,000 talents. A talent, remember, 6,000 days of wages. Six out one talent. And 10,000 is the highest number that can be expressed in the Greek. This man owed this huge debt for quite some time. We don't know how long, but he owed this huge debt. Maybe even joked with his friends about how much he owed the king and laughed it off. But the day came, the day of reckoning came. And he comes into the royal presence of the king. 
and he sees what he uh, what he owes, he and he sees his great indebtedness before the king and the terrible penalty of not being able to pay his debt. He somehow saw it. I don't know if he understood it or not, but he saw what he owed the king. You know, these figures, you know, that Jesus is trying to, to give to us, they help us to see that we owe a massive and unpayable debt to God because of our sin. We owe a massive debt to God because of our sin. We minimize sin and we make it nothing, especially our own personal sin. But the truth is, the debt of sin that we owe to God cost the Son of God His life on the cross. That's how great our sin was. And, and the truth is, God will willingly, because of Jesus, forgive us our sin. But we, we often minimize it and we don't understand it. <clears throat> Maybe we don't want to understand it. But we are indebted to God because of we sin. We sin day after day, week after week, month after month against a loving, holy, and just God. And we do not have the ability to pay. We don't have the ability to pay. You know, I pray that each of us would understand something uh, of how bankrupt we are before God. Most people don't realize that they're bankrupt before God. They think, you know, their good outweighs their bad, whatever they think. They don't understand just how horrible sin is and how it offends a holy and just God. If some crisis or tragedy happens in our lives to awaken us to this, we ought to thank God for it. Because it's not as tragic as being away from, from the, uh, the loving and eternal presence of God. God's grace awakens us to our bankruptcy before Him. But not only that, uh, God's grace shows us the devastating effects of our sin on all around us. Now the king ordered the man to be sold. And he ordered his wife and his property to be sold. His indebted, uh, indebtedness to the king, his reckless handling of what was entrusted to him, not only affected him, but all those close to him. His wife and children were going to be sold because of this man's debt. You know, oftentimes we think that sin only affects me. My sin only affects me. It doesn't affect anybody around us. When I was in college... Uh, and uh, being a history and philosophy major, maybe you didn't know that, but anyway, uh, we had these talks about uh, about the big question of our day was, uh, should we eliminate personal morality laws? Well, we've basically eliminated personal morality laws since then, but that was one of the big discussions. And the argument went, what two adults do in the privacy wasn't anybody else's business. And therefore, we should do away with all laws against immorality. But the truth is, sin always affects all you and all those around you. If you think your sin only affects you, it affects everyone around you. If you commit adultery and you mess up your family, your whole family's messed up. If, uh, if, you, uh, if you commit a crime and you have to go to prison, your whole family's messed up. If, if, uh, if you lie, uh, your family, it might not be in the overt ways, but 
our sin doesn't only mess us up, it, it messes up those around us. It messes up old, those around us. David's adultery in the scripture hurt his family and the entire nation. The entire nation. Uh, if you think sin only affects you, think again. Some of you, and we've all been affected by other people's sin, not just our own, by other people's sin. If, you're, if you were raised in a family where there was divorce or uh, things like that, you know how it still affects you, even as adults. I've heard stories. I've heard stories of people in college that their parents were married until they got to college, and then their parents got divorced. And their parents thought, "Well, we'll wait till the kids get away, and then we'll divorce." So they won't affect them then, and they tell how much it really has. Um, sin brings tragedy and ruin in the lives of people all around us, especially among children and those closest to us—grandchildren and parents, family and friends—especially among them. Sin effects are far-reaching and long-lasting. Don't think that any kind of sin only affects you. It affects all those around you. God's grace shows us the devastating effects of our sin on us and all those around us. Not only that, God's, God in His forgiveness, uh, God, in His, God in His grace forgives the debt of sin that we can never repay. God in His grace forgives the debt of sin that we can never pay. When the man cried for more time, something astounding happened. And it truly was astounding. The debt was forgiven. The debt was forgiven. The king took the loss upon himself. The man said to his master, if he was given more times, he would pay. But, but he didn't understand the extent of his debt. He could never repay. There was no way that he could ever repay. And so God himself, the king himself, took the loss. You see, the debt we owe to God over our sin could never be repaid even during an eternity in hell. Do you understand that? It cannot be repaid. We can never repay that debt. That's why God sent Jesus to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He died on the cross to justly pay the penalty for our sin. Just like the king, God took the loss on himself. He paid the debt. God demonstrates his love for us in this, the scripture says. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. First uh, Peter 3.18 says, For God... For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Don't get the impression that the man's forgiveness didn't cost anything, that the debt just goes away. No, the king had to absorb the loss. Our sins, someone had to to pay the penalty. Someone had to make the just payment for our sins. Someone has to take the loss. You see, if, if you don't pay your bills, it doesn't mean they're not paid. It just means other people have to pick up the slack for you not paying your bills. 
If people shoplift at Walmart, it doesn't mean Walmart loses money. You think Walmart's going to lose money? They're just going to raise their prices on us a little bit to make up for their loss. See, we have this idea that we can get stuff for nothing, but the truth is we, nothing, nothing comes from nothing, as the old Sound of Music song says. But anyway, I didn't think about that until now. We, everything costs something. It might not cost us, but it costs somebody. And the cost of paying for our sins was the life of the very Son of God. Someone has to pay the loss. God took the loss himself. You know, I, I would, when I was younger and had hair, anyway, uh, I, would, I would take my kids out and I would put them on the swing. And I'm pushing them on the swing and swinging them when they're little. And I sing a little song to them. He paid a debt. He did not owe. I owed a debt. I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song. Amazing grace. All day long Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. I wanted them to understand that. And when I'm pushing my grandchildren, I'm singing them the same thing. They, my kids might think, can't you come up with a new song, Dad? No, that's, that's a good one. He took the loss. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. You know, don't think forgiveness is cheap. It costs the life of the very Son of God. God took the loss. Christ paid the debt. And in Christ, our sins are justly forgiven. They are justly paid for. God's grace forgives the debt of sin that we can never pay. But I want you to see one more thing. This sobering truth from this parable this morning. Unforgiveness toward others ultimately shows that we have never experienced, never really received God's forgiveness. Unforgiveness toward others shows that we have never truly received God's forgiveness. The man left the king. He should have had a heart filled of filled with thankfulness because of the forgiven debt. But it wasn't. Verse 26 shows the man, he had not really changed. He had not really understood what had just happened. He was really only sorry he got caught. He was glad he didn't have to pay that huge debt anymore. As he left, after this had just happened, he happened it's it, the scriptures it, it indicates that he just came across a man who owed him a hundred denarii he owed him a hundred denarii now what how much was a hundred denarii you know i've heard sermons and i think i've even preached sermons where i i've minimized the amount of a hundred denarii a hundred denarii is a little over three months salary now, I don't know about you, but that's not a trifling amount to me. That's not just a little 
little amount. In fact, as your loving pastor, if you came up to me after the service and said, Pastor, uh, would you lend me three, uh, three months of your salary? As your loving pastor, I would lovingly say, no way, Jose. Because <laughs> it's not a trifling amount. It's not a little amount. It, it, it's small in comparison to what the king forgave, but, but it's still a pretty big amount. It was a large enough debt that would affect a person's life. And so, so when he talks about a hundred denarii, sometimes we act like it's just nothing. Now, I know, I've been around churches long enough, I've seen people carry nothing bitterness. They're mad over something somebody said to them, you know, five years ago. You know, they're, they're mad over the teeniest little offenses. And there's, there's I, I don't understand that. Basically, I don't. But sometimes we carry, someone has really wronged us. I don't want to minimize the wrongs that, it may, that may have caused you enormous harm. I don't want to minimize the trauma or the pain you face in your life because of some horrific thing that was done to you. You know, this week there was a... Uh, uh, I, I uh, watched the seminar, uh, Caring Well. And, and as, as a convention, Southern Baptists are trying to, to deal with the question of, of abuse that's happened in the church in the past and people that have been abused. And I'm telling you, it was not a fun thing to watch. You know, it was difficult to hear about the crimes that have been committed against children, against people in the church by church people. It was sobering. And it was heartbreaking that it ever happened. And part of the purpose of the seminar was to help us deal with people who have suffered abuse, who have been horrifically abused, maybe in the church or out of the church. Another thing was to to set up safeguards that it will not happen on our watch. We are going to do everything we can to protect children. And I just want you to know that that is going to happen here at all costs. We're going to protect children. We'll do everything we can to make sure it never happens here. Never happens on our watch, right? But it just amazed me at, at some of the abuse. And, and they had testimonies of, of women who had been abused and how, how they had come through it and how God had helped them in it. I don't want to minimize the abuse that you may have suffered. Your abuser may have committed a crime against you. Your abuser may have led you to believe it was all your fault because that's what abusers do. They make it sound like you did something. But they may have committed a felony. They may deserve to go to prison or worse. You know, if that's happened to you, East Madison wants to plead a place where we can share that with you and help you and help you find maybe others to help you process some of the things that have happened to you and help you come to a place that you can forgive. That doesn't mean it's it's nothing that's been done to you, but you but you're not gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna let 
what's happened to you stop you from living your life and loving others? I can't go into a lot of that now, but but I don't want to minimize people's abuse. Um, you know, to forgive, and we also misunderstand forgiveness. It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that what the people did to you, what someone did to you, does not deserve prison or is not horrible. But forgive and forgiveness doesn't mean you have to expose yourself to those kind of people anymore. That's not that that's that's foolishness. Forgiveness means that you trust God to vindicate you, to right the wrong, and to deal with the wrong the ones who've wronged you. You forgive. By the power of God, you trust His power to empower you and enable you to forgive. That's what forgiveness is. It's a choice. And sometimes we choose to forgive. We were talking about this in our Bible study. Sometimes we choose to forgive and then we have to let our emotions catch up with us. Have you ever been hurt really deeply? And then you said, Lord, I know I've got to forgive. And I choose to forgive. But then the thing comes, you start thinking about it again, maybe a few weeks later. And all the emotions and all the hurt comes back. Or a few months later, or a few years later. Or a few decades later, maybe, for some of you. You start thinking about it. And in those times, you have to say, Lord, by your power, I have forgiven Please help my emotions to catch up with my obedience to you. Because we have forgiven, somehow we trust that God enables and empowers us to forgive. But this forgiven servant that we read about in Matthew 18, he grabbed the man who owed him this money, he choked him and said, pay up. The man asked for more time. Just as he had done. Just a few minutes earlier. But he refused. He would not give him more time. The creditor sent him to debtor's prison. Until the debt would be completely paid. The man who had just been forgiven an enormous and unpayable debt. Now he had no mercy on someone who owed him something. See, the parable is not saying forgiveness is easy, but the parable is saying because God has forgiven us so greatly, we can forgive others by His power and in His strength. It's the, the debt is much smaller compared to what we owe God, but, but God will empower us and enable us to forgive. I'm amazed at the stories that I hear people about the wrongs that have been done to them and about how they have forgiven. And the reason that they can was because of the power of God in their lives. The fellow servant, he he wouldn't forgive. And so the others saw and they reported to the king. Because when you don't forgive and you claim to be a follower of Jesus... Other people will notice. Uh, the comparison of 100 denarii to 10,000 talents shows us that the huge debt of sin before God that caused the offenses pales into insignificance of what had happened to him. 
the man was called before the king, and the king was justly angry. Should he have not forgiven this debt, even as he had been forgiven? The man who wanted justice from the one who owed him a hundred denarii, he didn't want to absorb the loss, but he wanted to receive mercy from God. The king said, okay, you want justice, you'll get justice. And the scripture says he ordered the wicked man to be turned over to the tormentors until the huge debt was paid. The man was tormented by his unforgiveness. And I'm telling you, I've been around enough people that couldn't forgive to know that if you will not forgive, you will be tormented by it. And it will affect all those around you. The man could not have truly experienced his God forgiveness and known what that meant as long as he would not forgive. Someone wrote, an unforgiving person is no son of God. And ultimately it comes down to that. Yes, I'm not minimizing the trauma that some of you have gone through, I don't want to minimize that, but I want to say to you that because God has forgiven you, He will empower you and enable you to forgive others. Unforgiveness is a prison that will torment you, that will affect your family. If you think unforgiveness only affects you, you ever been around anybody that's bitter and unforgiving? You know, I, there used to be in my first church, I had this lady just get mad at me all the time. And you know, one day I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking, why is she getting mad at me? I can't be that important in her life. You know, I see her just every once in a while, once a week, and I realize bitterness had taken over her heart. And when bitterness overtakes your heart, you're going to be mad at everybody around you, and everybody's going to see it. Bitterness and unforgiveness is a prison that's real and horrible, but it's one that we put ourselves in. The truth is, you can forgive, and, and, and the truth is, we can forgive, we must forgive, because God has forgiven us. God's grace empowers and enables us to forgive. If we have experienced God's forgiveness, God will enable us. Not that it will be easy And not that you won't have to work through some stuff, but He will enable you. He will empower you to forgive because He does not want you to live in bitterness. He wants you to live in freedom. Probably, I don't know, I may have even used this story before, but I'm going to use it again today. Many of you know who Corrie ten Boom was. She was in Holland, and during World War II... Uh, she and her family uh, hid Jews in their home. Well, the Nazis discovered this after a while, and Corrie ten Boom and her entire family was put in concentration camps. Corrie ten Boom, of, I think she had, I know her father and a sister, poss- I think maybe a brother, but I don't, I'm not, I don't remember the details. But I know her father and her sister died in those concentration camps. And her sister died in the same concentration camp that she and Corey Ten Boom were in. She wrote this article, and I want to read to you uh, today. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, 
heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I'd just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I'd come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was a truth that most needed to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from the Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And even though I cannot find a scripture for it, I believe God then places a sign out there that says, No fishing allowed. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected their wraps, in silence left the room. That's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights. The pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, rib sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. The place was Ravensbrook. And the man who was making his way forward had been a guard, one of the cruelest guards. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all of our sins are, are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Raven's book in your talk. He was saying, I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men's trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. 
Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness and remained invalids. It was simply and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so suddenly, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out for me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit, as recorded in Romans 5, 5, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. Yes, God will empower you and enable you to forgive even the deepest of wrongs. You choose to forgive as an act of the will and obedience to God and then let your emotions catch up with your choice. Yes, it might take a while, but God will enable you to forgive if you choose to obey Him. He will enable you to forgive, yes, from the heart. Yes, you can do it because it's His power working in and through us. It's His Holy Spirit who lives in us that enables us to do this. Yes, God's children can live lives of continual forgiveness because of the great forgiveness we have experienced. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the forgiveness that we have experienced because Jesus paid it all. And Father, I thank you for the power that you give us to forgive others who wrong us. Father, I know that that maybe here there's someone still struggling with forgiving someone who has caused them deep hurt. I pray that they would see that you will enable them and empower them to forgive. I pray that they would see that you don't want to leave them where they're at, but you will will give them strength. You will bring healing to them as they turn to you and obey you, and you will help them to forgive from the heart. I pray that there's anyone here today that's never realized the great debt they owe to you because they are sinners and they're still trying to pay out their debt. They're still trying to work it out. Lord, they haven't just cried out to you and asked you for mercy. 
and understood that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from every sin, from all sin. Help them to see that Jesus alone saves, that the one who died and rose again is willing to forgive them if they will just seek forgiveness through him. They will receive him into their lives. I ask you to work and move. I pray that no one here would be in bondage to unforgiveness or bitterness. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.